a, a slow meandering affair. He wants to kick, he's got to go now. We're with Josh Kerr. All right, here, David Rivish. Josh Kerr. David Rivish. Josh Kerr's for real. Fastest D2, 1500 meters. Josh Kerr on the outside. Way up front now is David Rivish. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Sit and Kick podcast. I'm your host, David Ribich, and today we are sitting and kicking it with one of the newest teammates that I have. Uh, I have yet to master how to pronounce your last name, but Simone Plord, that, that's how we're going to say it. That's how it's going to go. And even though um, oh. she is the newest member of the team, she already has an outstanding resume. Uh, she is an NCAA All-American, a Pac-12 champion, Team Canada member, and one of the most consistent young talents to come out of the NCAA in the last year. She's boasting PRs of 406 in the 1500 meters, 1521 for 5000 meters, even a cheeky 2K steeplechase on her Tifers. In her first summer of racing on the professional circuit, she has placed herself in the top 60 in the world in the 1500 meters. She signed with Nike less than six months ago and looks to not only win the Canadian trials, but represent Canada at the upcoming Olympics in Paris. Simone Ford, how are we doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm excited about this. I know I've been pestering you for about a few weeks now to try to get you on, and so I'm I'm really excited to finally get you on here. It's finally happening. And then I'm going to cut this piece right here. If your quality seems like it's diminishing, it's all because it's of the really upload. Bad. It's in, okay. It's it's way better. It's way better. Um, okay. when actual final production, it actually diminishes your screen because it's most of the power is getting sent in. So just be okay. completely it's just normal it cut for all out of it for a while. The first like 30 yep. seconds I couldn't hear, but you were just talking, so. Yeah, and, and that's fine because my end was uploading at the same time your end was uploading, and it was just registering. So like okay. to- that's totally normal. Um, and then if you think your video quality is bad or even if you cut out, keep talking. Just act like nothing's going wrong. Okay. We're, we're going to be good. So um, and then I'll jump back in. Yeah, thank you so much for caving to all of my begging and giving me an hour of your time. Uh, so – I know we have a few people from Quebec that are interested in you coming on here. A few people, we have like a 2% demographic in France. So how about you just go ahead and you know, give yourself a, a French introduction as if this was a, a TED talk or a, a TED uh, parlé, parlé, how would you say talk in French uh, for our French <laughs> listeners? Ah, wow. Okay. I'm just going to say bonjour. J'appelle Simone. Merci d'être à l'écoute. Puis de suivre le podcast Sit and Kick. Great to have you all. That was sweet. Okay, maybe I'll just have you be our French interpreter uh, moving forward for more episodes. Um, you're familiar uh, with the expression "win in Rome," right? Uh, no. No, it's it's kind of like a, I guess it's like a cheesy or like cop out when like if you're in Rome, Italy, you'll say "win in Rome," or like it's kind of like the saying of like "what happens in Vegas." You know, it's just like this random tagline that gets yeah, associated yeah. with the city. So. Every podcast, we have a little game or we have something that uh, is unique to each of the, the guests that we have on here. So I've created a little thing called Win in Quebec. Um, so we're going to start just, you know, to kind of familiarize ourselves with Quebec, familiarize ourselves with you. So our listeners can kind of get a, a basis of how made up I think Quebec is in terms oh of God. locations okay. on the earth. I so, actually can't wait to hear this. <laughs> so it's uh, French is the native language, right, in Quebec? Yes. So if this is correct, you can just go ahead and say we. Oui. If it is okay. incorrect, just say no, and we can move on okay. from it. But these are going to be more like uh, sentences or statements, and then just say we oui or no, and then I'll go to the next one. Are you ready? Yeah. In Quebec, people don't get horrible hangovers. They get a bad hair ache. 
what? No. Is that no? Okay, then good. We're we're gonna get, keep moving forward. So yeah. I looked up. I did some research. I hope none of these are true. So if you say no across the board, we're totally cool. I'm not gonna okay. be offended by that. I didn't make these up. In Quebec, people don't vomit. They imitate a bellowing moose. Have you ever heard that? No. Nope. All right. Okay, Never we're gonna keep rolling that. through these. Okay. <laughs> Maybe my sources, and by sources I mean Google and uh, associated sites, are incorrect, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> in Quebec, you don't reach a dead end of a road. You reach the ass of bag of a road. <laughs> yes. Okay, that one's true? <laughs> All right, okay, cool. We're good there. In Quebec, they don't eat corn on the cob. They eat wheat from India. No. Maybe okay, I'm just fine. not understanding all of these. But... Yeah, I mean, they had all like the French translations of it. Um, exactly. It's just but hard because I, was... I need to translate it in English to see if, like, because yeah. the dead end, we say cul de sac, or like, yeah. sac, and Q means like what you just yeah. described. So, yeah. yeah, I'm just doing a little bit of brain work here, but keep going. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> and, and that's actually what the French was, was cul de sac, and I was, which was enlightening to me because cul de sac is the end of a road. So, I'm also learning right. as I'm going through this. Okay, in great. Quebec, guys don't have a girlfriend, they have a blonde. Yes. Okay, cool. In Quebec, girls don't have a boyfriend. They have a buddy. Ah, yeah, I guess so. Okay. In Quebec, you don't try to charm someone. You sing the apple. I guess so. Yeah, it's like <laughs> French expressions that you're translating in English, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, in Quebec, people don't get pissed off. They get their ass close to catching fire. Uh, I don't know about that one, no. Okay, that's fine. In Quebec, there's a lot. I have, uh, I think, well, I got about eight more. Okay. So as long no, as, as, long as you're feeling good about them. Yeah. Okay. In Quebec, they don't chicken out. They don't let go of the potato. Um, no. No? Okay. In Quebec, you weren't an idiot. You let someone eat oh, the yes, wool of off course. your back. Sorry. I just understood the other one. Yes, we say, lâche pour la patate. Which, which means don't let go of the potato? Yes. That means, like, don't give up. You got this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Quebec, you weren't an idiot. You let someone eat the wool off your back. What's that translate over to? I don't even know what that means in English, so. I don't either. Mm. Uh, in And we, we, because mostly of Josh, there is, like, usually an explicit tagline. So if, um, I'll say, like, ass. So I'm going to have to say that here. In Quebec, a person is not unlikable. They are crooked in the ass. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I'm telling you, Quebec does not sound like a real place. When a disastrous event occurs, it's the burial of the toad. I don't know about that one. In maybe Quebec, I, do, I just don't understand the translation. Yeah, I mean, I could have, again, tried it in French, but I'm not going to even attempt it. Um, in Quebec, you don't think someone is snobby. You think the person will not be mistaken for a flat 7-up. I don't know, Sounds no. No, that sounds like yeah, that's too long. Yeah, uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll skip a few of these, and then we'll just do one more. In Quebec, people are not weird; they are a funny sparrow. See again, I don't know what sparrow means, so the translation is tough. It's like a little bird. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe, I probably know the French expressions. I feel like the two percent Quebec listeners listening are probably like, "What? You should know this." But yeah. <laughs> okay, and then we'll just go last one. Hopefully, this one is, and we can end on a on a, a wee. Uh, Quebecers don't get very hungry; they get their tongue on the floor. Are you translating it? 
oh, sorry, um, like, j'ai la langue à terre, which means, like, I can't believe this. Oh, I, I have no idea. You're, you're well, honestly, I, like I don't really use these expressions that much, but. Okay, well, we, there's a few that you could probably utilize, like, uh, yeah, I like the don't let go of the potato one. That one, that one we got to use a little yeah. bit more often. Yeah, we would like actually say that at workouts or like just when like things are hard, it's like, ah, like you got this, keep it up. <laughs> so not only are those absurd, but also some of them might not be true, which again, only reinstates the fact that I don't think Quebec is a real place. Um, but now uh, we can get into a little bit more of some running chat. Um, and if you guys are listening and you're a longtime listener, then you know that Josh and I's early focus of this podcast was structured around that transition from collegiate athletics to professional athletics. When we started this podcast in 2019, a lot of you guys were hearing our stories and that transition as it was happening. And now, crazy enough, Josh and I are leading into our fifth, sixth year of being out of college and being into this world of professional athletics. But for you, Simone, um, that was just last year. This is actually like your first build-in year um, on the professional circuit. So let's kind of bring it back a little bit and talk about like the early like high school recru- recruitment process. Um, mm-hmm. and if there is even like someone within the sport of like Canadian athletics, that was kind of like a role model for you moving forward to kind of pursue this a little bit more seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I feel like, I don't know, my experience was pretty unique, especially compared to Americans, just cause in Canada, obviously track is not as big of a deal in high school. Like in my high school, we didn't have like a track team or anything like that. Um, so it was more just like, I got into running through, it's so far, but it was like my mom's close friend that used to run track when she was younger. And, um, she just, I used to be like a competitive skier. Um, and that was like my sport for like 10 years. I was a downhill skier and I didn't like it that much. And I knew I was going to want to like transition from that. And she was like, Hey, I could really see you get into running. So I started when I was maybe like 16, 15, 16 years old. I like, did my research on the internet and found like a club uh, that was like a civil club. Cause yeah, we don't really have any types of teams through schools. So yeah. I just showed up on a Tuesday with my friend who's actually the daughter of like my mom's best friend who also wanted to try it with me. Yeah. Um, she kept going for like one practice and then she was like, I'm done. This is not for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I actually really liked it. Um, so, yeah, I just kept going with it. But I think my recruitment on the NCAA kind of happened, like, much later. Because um, I actually started considering going on the NCAA by the time I was t- 19. So, okay. yeah, it was later. I didn't know much about the NCAA, if I'm being honest. I didn't really know it was a thing. Like, professional running was, like, very – yeah, I – did not know much about it. Yeah. I honestly just ran because I liked it. I had fun with it. And uh, it was a good transition from like just being a downhill skier and having that kind of lifestyle. And, you know, I yeah. love sports, so I wanted to have like something else um, to get into. And and we Josh has touched on this before too, just be coming from the UK and getting into the NCAA system. Um, but do you personally have any advice then for athletes that are looking to get admission into the NCAA as an out-of-country athlete? and or greatest advice that you would give to yourself in that process now, knowing that you're on the other side of it. Totally. I think like, there's just so much that goes into it. Honestly, like I could talk about this for quite a while, but yeah. um, my main advice I'd say is like, really do your research as much as possible. 
like in my case, it was a little tricky because when my recruitment happened, it was during COVID. So like I couldn't do any visits or anything like that. Mm. But as much as you can, like visit the school, ask questions uh, to the athletes on the team, to athletes who left the team, you know, look at how many people transfer from that school, uh, how long the coach has been in. Uh, also, I think one of the biggest things that I learned kind of the hard way, but it would just be to like, make sure you know that you're going to be happy at that school, regardless yeah. of if you're running well or not. So like if you're injured tomorrow and running stops, like, are you still going to be happy in that environment living there? And, um, yeah, I feel like that's a huge factor that goes into play, even though like if running's going great, like just being able to kind of have that balance and have that life outside of running, uh, at that place you're going to be is huge. And then, yeah. you know, just as being like a foreign athlete, I think you have to kind of realize that you're going to be away from home and kind of doing that research. Cause I know for certain athletes, like in Quebec, at least they'll like stay in the Northeast, which is always really nice. Cause you can drive home a lot more than, you know, when you move completely out to the West coast and you're three hours behind everyone from home and it just makes things a little more complicated. So yeah, I think just getting, doing your research, knowing what you're getting yourself into. Um, but overall, I mean, my experience was super positive on the NCAA, so I think great nice. things can come out of it. But I also think, yeah, the more research yeah, you do, the easier, kind of. And, and I have some follow-ups there too because not only are you um, a foreign athlete that has competed within the NCAA system, but you also transition between two programs in the NCAA system. And something that Josh and I mm -hmm. have reiterated too, exactly like you're saying, is like making sure you're happy outside of running in that location – but also a, a reminder to those athletes, like you can choose a school and if it's not the right situation, there's going to be another school for you. You just, again, have to do that whole recruitment process again and really look into kind of what you're looking for. Um, the coaches, exactly everything as Simone is saying. So um, what was that transition like then from BYU to Utah? Uh, it seems as though you stayed in the state because you liked it or yeah. was it just like the, the convenience of, you know, just going from one place to another or talk about that transition between BYU and Utah. Right. I mean, honestly, like when I entered the transfer portal, I had no idea where I was going to end up. Like I was really open minded to go anywhere in the country. I just wanted to find like the right fit with the right coach, have good teammates yeah. that were going to push me. But also like most importantly, yeah, just be happy outside of it. Um, I loved Utah, like for obviously like training at altitude. I liked a lot. But like most importantly, just like the scenery, the mountains. Uh, being outdoors. I mean, I'm a huge skier. So like being able to be that close to the mountains was just really nice. And I also, yeah, made some really good friends while I was there. So I think all in all, like that transition was very overwhelming, but in the end, like it all worked out really well because I was, it was over the summer. I was just talking to so many coaches. Then again, it was still COVID. So I couldn't do any visits to go to the second yeah. school. Um, but I just talked a lot on the phone with the coaches and also like the athletes from the team. And uh, I remember talking to two people from the Utah team uh, and it just clicked immediately. Like we got along so well and uh, still friends with them, which is sweet. And then on top of that, like my relationship with Kep, the coach that I was on calls with, um, I just knew he was going to be a coach that was going to take what I needed and like get me to where I want to be. Um, yeah. But while not like pressing things too much and being smart about it and uh, patient, most importantly, and that's something I was looking for in a coach to kind of see that long term development and not just like short term. I want you to start hopping on the team and, you know, doing yeah. really big things right away, but that are not necessarily sustainable. So. So, no, no yeah, Simon I Fraser. 
Mm, no, you know, I mean, yeah. I. That's the thing, though, is like I didn't know much about much. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I'm ever yeah. so new to the sport, I, I, I barely. I learned about Simon Fraser like very late on. Um, I didn't have many contacts that I knew. Like, I don't come from a running community. None of my family runs or anything like that. So I kind of just had to figure things out on my own and like yeah. kind of do that research on my own. And so honestly, I didn't know much about Simon Fraser until like a year or two ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So... That's how most division uh, one athletes respond uh, about division two schools. You know, well, okay. they just, oh, you know, <laughs> no, I feel bad. Yeah, about yeah. This, but I do love Vancouver. I think I, I think I'm going to yeah. like Simon Fraser if I'm being honest, but yeah, I just the the transfer portal is already it's just so overwhelming that like yeah yeah I kind of just had to to focus on the schools that were reaching out and and yeah I mean I think I just made it down to like three schools that and, and keeping my focus yeah. on these three schools and 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 Utah obviously was the the right decision in terms of your career and your your ability to kind of like what you're saying like make a change over time and be a part of mm -hmm. a program that like not only did you make a difference in but you also got to continue to build. I mean, when you look at Utah and also knowing that you and Emily kind of have like um, a shared connection, not only with being teammates here, but also being teammates there. And then, and then hearing you guys speak on Utah and the success that they had in the cross country season this year, like you can tell that you guys left uh, Utah in a better place than you guys found it, which is really awesome to hear um, even in the, in the short duration that you were there, but you saw success pretty quickly um, winning the PAC 12 title for the 1500 meters. And that's actually no offense. The first time I know, knew who you were, um, because like, I don't really follow, like I follow collegiate athletics to a good degree, but I remember I was standing there next to Pete and Pete just goes, Hey, do you want to see a video? And I go, Oh sure. didn't really know what I was going to watch. And he just showed me your PAC 12 race mm. and from start to finish. And I was like, Holy shit. Like not only did you win the race, but you also front ran the whole thing and you just like yeah. put your head down and you put in the work. So where did that come from? Cause the women that you're in that race too, like you beat very, very good people. Um, mm -hmm. and at, before that, again, didn't know who you were, but after that, of course you're on my radar, you're on Pete's radar. You obviously were on Nike's radar. Um, like, were you favored to win that race and kind of what was the strategy going into that? And if you guys find this race on YouTube, it's one of the coolest Pac-12 races I think I've ever seen. Cause it wasn't, oh, wow. unfortunately it was not a sit and kick, but it was, uh, it was a really, really good front run race. Mm. Well, thank you. But I think, I don't know. I mean, going into it, obviously I wanted to win. I think any kind of race I go into, I, yeah. I want that. Um, but also it wasn't the plan to lead at all. Like that's not what I wanted to do, but, um, I didn't want it to like, I don't know. I just got sick. Like last year, there's just so many sit and kick races where like, I just, I wanted to run a fast 1500. I wanted to PR and I was like, yeah. let's just take it out at an honest pace. And like, you know, have fun with it, like not just make it a jog. And then it's like, who yeah. can have the fastest last 400? Although like sure, and kicks. I mean, yeah, that's the name of the podcast, but like, yeah, <laughs> that could be fun sometimes. And I don't mind a race like that once in a while, but I don't know. And then, yeah, I just kind of got thrown into the front or maybe I started out kind of quick and then I took it out and I tried not to panic about it. And I was like, honestly, just stay in control. And uh, yeah. it was also my first experience leading a race on the NCAA. So I kind of had fun with it. Like I was looking up at the screen, seeing where the girls were behind. And I don't know, I, like my mindset was very different where like I was just thinking about other things um, because yeah. I was in control of the race. Whereas usually, you know, I'm in mid pack and I'm like, okay, when's 
somebody going to make a move? What's going to happen? Where should I be placed? Whatever. So I think for that, it was a good experience to just take it out yeah. from the front and kind of see how this was going to go. And honestly, I felt really good. And I knew I was kind of going to be able to still respond with 400 to go, 200 to go. Um, and so, yeah, it was one of those days where I, I don't know. I think things were aligned and yeah. I felt good and I was in a good state of mind. And I obviously had that, um, desire to win so like it worked yeah. out but yeah, it, I, yeah. I, I definitely surprised myself because I mean yeah that was a very deep field with a lot of really really good girls that actually most of them showed up at the NCAA finals so yeah but the, the, the good thing about that experience too kind of like what you're saying is the things that you gained from that and sure like looking back through that final year with Utah like what place did you finish in the 1500 at nationals? Did you make, you were out in the semis? I didn't make the final. Yeah. You didn't make the final. Yeah. So it's no. like, that's like an unfortunate ending to that kind of um, experience that was kind of like build, 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 but yeah. your career already has, and will continue to grow beyond the NCAA level. And so I think that's, what's really exciting about that opportunity and, and the result that you got from PAC 12 is like, yeah, sure. You, you got knocked out at na- uh, the national meet, but, you front ran, like you're saying, you learned a different experience, you learned a different outcome of a race, but still were able to maintain um, confidence and momentum leading into the national meet, but not only the national meet, but then the Canadian trials, where again, Mm -hmm. that was another time that I watched you race with tons of confidence. And then going from the Canadian trials to the world championships um, in 2017, Josh went into, and I'm talking about Josh, like he's a fictional person and, and you probably are unfamiliar with the format of the podcast, but I'm for those listeners, if you guys recall Josh's 2017 experience, and I'm kind of saying this to you as well, like Josh went into 2017 knowing that he was likely going to get punched out the first round. Like I think he mm-hmm. was 43 out of 44 entries, um, mm. second to last. I think the only person he beat that he jokes about is I think Centro was last in the in London 2017. So Josh, like I beat the Olympic champ, I'm all right. Um, <laughs> so for you, you know, like Josh said, I had to go to 2017 London just to get that experience because I needed to race fatigued and I needed to get that exposure to build off of for 2019, yada, yada, yada. So for you, you're going in, you had a much better cross-country campaign than Josh ever did in college, but you were competing from fall to winter to, to spring to summer to late summer. So kind of that full year and then what your experience was like at uh, Budapest, because this will be like the natural transition to kind of talking more on the professional scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that was just all crazy, honestly. Like, if you would have told me in January, like, 2023, like, oh, yeah, you're going to be finishing up your season in Budapest. I mean, I didn't even know where Worlds were. Like, I didn't even know it was a World Championship year, if I'm being honest. Like, I just was not aware of it. I did not have it in my eyesight, I guess, if that's the word. But I, yeah, I mean, my focus was on the NCAA, and I don't know, at the time, like, I don't want to say like I don't set big goals for me, but I kind of just I love running. I love competing. And I think I was very much just in the present. Like I remember one of my friends being like, hey, what are your goals for this year? And I was like, honestly, like I just want to PR and have fun and stay healthy. Like I know it's very basic goals. And like, you know, most people would be like, what? Like you got to set big goals for yourself, blah, blah, blah. But it's not that I don't believe in myself. It's more just that I was kind of just going with the flow of it. And uh, like professional running, sure, always been a dream, but. Also, it wasn't like it has to happen this year. It was more just like if the opportunity presents itself, you know, of course I'm going to jump on it. But is it like a do or die? Like, absolutely not. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just the whole year kind of every race I was honestly surprising myself. Like, (laughs) 
yeah. I, I started out with a 3K, and then I qualified for indoor nationals, and I was really stoked on that. And then even just finishing fourth, like, I was stoked on that. I was happy on that. Yeah. I PR'd. Um, and then after that, transitioning into outdoors, I mean, yeah, focusing on the 15 was really fun, but then also touching a little bit of 5K. I ran my first 5K in college and was able to run, like, yeah, 15-21, which at the time, Not like, I was super – <laughs> yeah and <laughs> I don't know it was just like a really good year I just had fun with it and I think it, I wasn't trying to get myself too overwhelmed with the progress I was getting or what that meant or like okay that means you know I gotta people are starting to look at me and maybe professional running's outside so I don't know I was kind of just rolling with it having fun with it and I think a huge part of that success was based on that and not getting overwhelmed and just I think like celebrating the victory without necessarily just thinking about like the next big thing, you know, I was yeah. just really happy every time I finished a race and I was like, Oh my yeah. God, like I did that. That was awesome. Um, cool. But then I think towards the end after pack 12s and then starting to talk with agents and all of that, that definitely got me a little more stressed. And I think maybe, you know, that was part of the whole deal at nationals where it was like, people were telling me like, Hey, like you got a shot at doing some big things out there. And I think, yeah, I started thinking like, okay, I'm not the underdog anymore necessarily, yeah. you know, like people are starting to know my name and it just comes with pressure and I was really, really not used to that. So um, that was definitely kind of an adjustment going into NCAAs. Obviously that didn't go as planned, um, but I think I was able to rebound from that pretty quickly. Like even just after the 1500, like I cried in the arms of my coach kept and then he was like hey kiddo like you got to focus on your 5k and you're like you know what you're right like let's just move on from this there's other things going on and uh it's just one race although sure it's the big race you know the final dance people like to call but I don't know there's there's more to it and one bad race yeah. doesn't define you or anything yeah. and I knew you know the the success I've had through this whole season like meant so much more than just that one race so I knew yeah. what I was capable of and uh after that, yeah, the 5K, I mean, it went all right. It wasn't great, but I was able to get an you know, All-American title. And, you know, it was really fun being able to race with Emily, too. And it was, like, both kind of – well, I knew it was obviously her final race and she was going to go into the pro level. I wasn't so sure at the time what my plans were, if I was going to come back or not for another year. And then once summer showed up, I was like, you know what? I still want to race. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I need redemption on that 1500. Nice. I want to do something else. Uh, I want to PR. Like, I think that PR at the time was from Pac-12s, I'm pretty sure, or maybe regionals, <clears throat> but it was more of like one of those strategic races. I was like, what if I have yeah. a rabbit? Like, what, what can I try and run? And then obviously by then people were starting to talk about, you have a shot of making the Canadian team. And I was like, oh my God, that would be awesome. And yeah. that's when I had my uh focused a little bit more on Budapest and so at that time it was like maybe mid-June end of June so I go back home in Montreal for La Classique d'Athlétisme which is a meet La that Classique is... La Classista <laughs> La Classique d'Athlétisme so Athlétisme is actually track in French um okay. and it's just yeah it's this race that is organized um in Montreal at my like home track where I grew up well not grew up but like when I where I started yeah. training um and I had all my family come, friends, like, you know, my parents were just inviting everyone <laughs> to come. And it was really fun. We ended up having quite a good crowd there. And uh, I was able to PR and run for 06. And I think by then I was like, okay, I can, I think I really have a shot to making it to Budapest through the point system. Um, I was like, I basically need like one more good race, which was yep. 
going to be, I think, Canadian Nationals. And I was like, if I podium, like, I, it's pretty much in the bag. So by that point, it was really, really exciting um, because, yeah. like I said, it was just not something I thought that was going to happen to make the world team. That yeah, your IWF so. profile is impressive. I mean, your 1500 is like average ranked out is like 1250. Like that's a very impressive mark to kind of average through, um, especially in your first year coming out. Like it was like 1251, 1254, 1250, I think were three of the races like back to back to back. And mm-hmm. like it, it's – it's you, you talk about like the final dance for the NCAA and like a lot of the reasons I think it's called that those because that is like the final dance for most athletes. But then luckily for you, you have the experience and the ability to bounce back and pursue bigger things beyond the NCAA level. And so, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you can continue on for the Canadian trials and things like that about like kind of shifting that focus. Cause it, it is true. It's just one race. One race doesn't defy you. Mm-hmm. One race could change everything. And then like, as you're saying with PAC 12s, like that's where that confidence came, but then also the pressure. And now in the pr- professional scene, um, yeah, we, let's kind of back up just a little bit and like, where did you look and who did you speak through from an, like an agent slash brand perspective to kind of narrow down where you wanted to see yourself moving forward? Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I spoke to a couple agents, um, who did you settle with or who are you with? Uh, Ray Flynn. Ray. Nice. You're with Ray. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, um, that's fine. I mean, jo- Josh is with Ray like as well. A lot of he, he speaks very... Yeah. Are with Ray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I spoke to a couple of agents and then obviously like, well, not obviously, but I, I kind of had an idea who I was going to want to go with um, before nationals. But I, I, then again, I was like, you know, if, if it happens, it'll happen. But like if NCAAs don't go too well, I'm like, hey, like the good thing is like I was on the NCAA for three years, including one that was COVID. So if I wanted to, I could have really extended that and stayed for another like two years at least. So um I was like, it's not do or die. And I think that's a really good position to be in uh, yeah. just because, I mean, it's a little bit less pressure on my hands. And also, you know, it wasn't like I need to be a professional runner. But I, by then I was like, OK, this this would be really nice. Yeah, you, you're um, kind of ready, like emotionally to kind of move on from the NCAA. Yeah, especially with the Olympic year coming up. I was like, it's just yeah. going to be hard to kind of have a focus to peak that late when um the NCAA, you just start competing so early on, right? And it's like, yep. I don't know, I just feel like it was kind of time. But, um, yeah, just to answer your question, I think after NCAAs, I mean, I remember I went up to Ray and I was like, okay, well, it's all good. Like, I'll, I'll come back next year. It'll be okay. And, you know, he was like, hey, just hold on there. Like, he's like, don't jump to conclusions too quick. Like, there's actually quite a bit of interest in you. Like, I think people were kind of seeing – the whole progression through the year and not just necessarily that one race and the fact yeah. that I'm pretty new to the sport. And I think, yeah, other factors came into play, which I was surprised about if I'm being honest, because I was told, you know, everything matters just based on that one race. And I was like, yeah. that one race didn't go well. So what's next, you know, but um, yeah, I spoke with a few brands on Like I spoke with Brooks, a little bit of on uh, Hoka I'm trying to remember. Obviously, like all of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 I spoke. I spoke with all of them. I spoke with a few. Um, here's to name all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't. I, Hoka. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned that, but yeah. yeah. It was definitely a crazy process, just because I was doing all of this while thinking, "Oh my god, I, I can qualify for Budapest," and then it was just like, "There's so yeah. much going on right now." Yeah. So um, much going on. 
Yeah, it, it was definitely kind of a crazy time over the summer, but at the same time, it was all like such exciting things. And I think the fact that I went into it, not thinking necessarily it was going to happen, made it that much more exciting. And like, I don't know, I was just really grateful. Yeah. I was in that position where I was. Sorry, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, you're, you're just in the, you, no, you're good. I, I lost you for a sec there too. But okay. um, you, you were talking about like you were in a position where like if it happens, it happens, but you didn't really feel the pressure because you're like, you know, it's just, it could come together, it could not, but you're, you're not worried about it having to happen in that moment. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about like UAC and obviously we made a very great lasting first impression uh, for you to, to sign on. Um, so talk about that tour just like briefly on it um, just because we always like to keep our episodes about an hour um so well we have a few more segments to get into so I know, I'm don't rambling. Spend... no no it, this is a good ramble, though, right? <laughs> like like i said this is a conversation i don't want this to feel like an interview like you can you can talk as much as you need to um so what was your first impression of uac and then also kind of in combination to that like what is it like having a teammate like sinclair who has finished mm-hmm. as high as sixth in the world sub four minutes in the 1500 meters um, for you to help prepare for this next year with bigger and and bigger bigger and brighter goals than NCA. Now you're thinking Olympics in Paris. Yeah, totally. I mean, I loved my visit with UAC. Obviously, <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think after do, going through those like transfer from Utah and BYU, I kind of knew what I wanted to look for in the place I was going to live, the coach, the environment, like slash teammates, and UAC kind of checked all of the boxes. Um, living in Portland and just kind of being in a city, like being from Montreal, I just felt really a sense of like Portland reminds me of home a little bit, um, which was always nice. And I knew that I was going to be happy being in Portland outside of like just running. Um, and then my relationship with Pete, I mean, Pete was someone that reached out to me, one of the first people to reach out to me and I could tell, you know, he had interest and obviously that helps. (laughs) Yeah. In the recruitment, sure. just having a coach that really wants you, but then on top of that, like, I don't know, it just really clicked in terms of his training philosophy, the way he viewed things, um, and I just felt comfortable, like, being myself and kind of, like, sharing the things I needed to share as an athlete, and I was like, I really feel like we could develop, like, a really good relationship moving forward. Um, For sure. And then the teammates were great. I mean, like, just yeah, meeting with the girls. I remember just having dinner with all of them and we just bonded so much and I laughed so much and I was like, okay, this is fun, you know, and it's a pretty young crowd where like they were all around my age and I feel like we clicked really quickly and that's something that's super important for me. Like running's always been not just about the social, but a lot of it is the social, if I'm being honest. Like I love going to practice and having fun and laughing and kind of bonding through the pain of running because it can be a pretty painful sport, you know. But just, yeah, being surrounded by really good people that um, make it fun was huge. And I really felt that at UAC. So, yeah, yeah, the decision was pretty easy for me, if I'm being honest. Like, yeah. Yeah, I talked to a lot of people, but it just seemed like my gut was telling me to go with UAC and so far, no regrets. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, like, it's good to be in to make that an easy decision. And mm-hmm. I know how stressful that process can be. But when you feel like, you know, um, you have mm-hmm. to jump on that because, yeah, it's that's the opportunity that is waiting for you. Um, and what is really cool to see from my perspective is it's to be honest, like I've had this conversation um with my wife because she's like how do you like the new people on the team and I'm like to be honest like I really like them it's really cool but like I feel so detached from that process now where like you're probably going to be on the professional scene longer 
than I have left in my career, which is like a weird thing because like previously, like when I'd come on in 2018 or 2019 or early in my career, I would see myself with these athletes. Oh, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be teammates with Josh until I retire. Like that's just how it works. Yeah. Um, and I'm not anymore. And then now that we get these recruits, like me doing like my research on you, like the fact that you were born in 2000 is insane to me. Right. Mm. Like, of course, I'm only five years older than you, but just seeing 2000 and your nickname moving forward is Simone 2000, um, probably more in reference to your 2K steeple. But um, so being Simone 2000 and like seeing the way that you operate and blend well, not only – it's like – and this isn't like um, – here, I'll say this. I feel as though you're the perfect um, athlete to kind of build into the to the women's program of UAC because you have that experience of like Sinclair at a world championship, but you also have that drive and hunger of like the women on our team that have never made a world championship. And you're kind of like right in that middle slot filling the void of like bringing everyone forward. And I feel like that's really hard to do not only as like – a rookie, but also just as an athlete. Um, and you do it seamlessly because of who you are as a person. And when you're talking about like that fun and that energy that you like to bring at practice, like I think that's felt and seen. So even though like I was training alone every single day uh, in the fall, I also um, enjoy going to practice. And, and you were a big part of like that, that culture that is getting built at UAC um, and with all the young women that we do mm. have. So it's cool. It's really, really cool. That's really sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um. Not to just gas you up because in the banjo bowl you'll just get yeah, absolutely torn I'm down. It. <laughs> um, but let's go. Let's do a quick brush over. Um, so let, let's. So our fans are pretty active and involved in the the track and field world. Like they usually, if we have a guest that comes on and they say the race schedule, they'll usually hype them up or do something like that. So do you have like a set schedule kind of built for you indoors? Like when's your next race or kind of what your emphasis mm. is moving forward in the next couple months? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, next race is actually next week. Well, first cool. race, really, of the year. Uh, I'll be racing the 3K on January 27 in Boston. John Terry, nice. I think, is the name of the meet. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Sinclair and Ella, which will be really nice. We've been training together all fall, so it'll be fun to kind of get things going together um, in that race. And then we'll go from there. But we're potentially trying to make the world indoor team for Canada cool. in the 3K. We'll see, though. You know, no pressure. We'll see how yeah, that Yeah, no pressure. Goes, just having fun. But... You know, just having fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. You pretty much have to hit standard for that, right? See, I don't even know. I should probably do my research on nah, this. Nah, don't I'm do your research. Tagging nah, along. Just go have fun. Yeah, me, tag, but... <laughs> tag along and try to win the race and run well, as fast as you can. Going, yeah. 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 It, it, all, it all gets set up regardless. Like, yeah, the, you don't got to worry about too much other than just running fast and having fun. Um, I'll skip that one. Just looking at my, my script and my notes, kind of what I want to talk about. Okay. Okay. So Canadian records right now, especially on the women's scene, have been getting set pretty frequently. The oldest record that is of recent date um, is Melissa Bishop when she set the 800-meter record at 157.01, July mm. 21st, 2017. But then you have Stafford setting the mile record, Stafford setting the 1,500-meter record, Stafford also setting the 5,000 meter record. Um, and then there's an old record for the 3,000 outdoor, which is by Angela Chalmers from 1994. That was set, and it was 832.17. Well. But what's really cool is when you look at like women's Canadian distance running, like Melissa, Bis Melissa Bishop, Lindsay Butterworth, the Stafford sisters, like there's a really, really good scene of Canadian middle distance athletes. And now you're one of them. Like, do you watch any of their races or are you pretty naive in the scene of like you're just getting in the race and you're going after it 
I'm definitely naive. You know, that's, I would love yeah, to elaborate to on this, but uh, I don't even know no. what the national records are. Um, I mean, I obviously have a lot of respect for all these athletes. I know of them. Um, and I got to know Lucia Stafford really well during yep. Worlds last year. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I kind of know how they race. But, yeah, it's no, – I can't elaborate that much on it. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, like, you don't need to elaborate by any means. Um, it's just, I think, a good time to be a Canadian middle-distance yeah. athlete, uh, especially and on the I female And I think even in the distance scene. I mean, mm-hmm. I know, like, Natasha Wodak in the marathon kind of yep. had that record not that long ago, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, I love running. Do I follow it as much? No. Yeah. Like in terms of like other races and what's going on, like I'll follow it if I'm in it, but if I'm not, yeah, not so much. No, that's, that's totally fine. Um, and that's probably a good place to be, especially when now like your quote unquote job is to run. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to necessarily be all consuming. You don't want to, you know, be a professional runner, try to have a professional podcast, you know, do all these types of things where you constantly have to do your not research. Like somebody and else. Not yeah. like somebody else. Yeah. Um, and then we'll do, we'll kind of transition to some fan submitted um, questions and then also kind of rotate into the banter bowl. But before we do that, want to do a little bit of housekeeping on podcast chat. Um, for those listening, thank you for going back and listening to Josh Curls, Josh Kerr's world champion episode um, that just made it into the 10 K club. So we just surpassed 10,000 listens on that episode. Um, that's a, a good milestone. There's only three in there. And actually, our most listened to episode is Cole Hawkers. For some reason, when we had him on, that still gets tons of listens all the time. Um, so thank you guys for going back and listening to those. Um, I have to make a public apology that I have a lack of studio here in um, Arizona. I left the cord for my microphone, but I brought my microphone. I left the headphones for my microphone. Um, I lost the Allen wrench to set up my stand. I lost left my studio lights. Um, so, But the show goes on, you know, because um, – Repetition is important. I want to keep pumping out content for you guys. So if you're noticing a lack of audio quality, um, my apologies. If you're not noticing a lack of audio apologies, don't tell me because I spent a lot of money on my setup. So um, just uh, just bear with us and uh, appreciate you guys giving a listen uh, if you're still listening to this even. Um, also, some housekeeping things. Um, um, as of today, I know you guys asked if I was racing in Boston. Last week, the decision was I was racing in Boston. But today we did another ultrasound. There's still good mus- good amount of muscle aggravation um, and strain there. So we're actually scrapping the indoor season. So I will be sidelined through January and February, um, but I'll still be very active and involved in UAC and just kind of the day-to-day operations of not only the podcast, but just teammates of cheering people on, um, going after things. So I may be in Albuquerque at USA is just cheering on people, but everything for me right now is TVD, um, which is unfortunate, but it's a bigger year than just uh, February and March of 2024. So looking looking for the bigger picture stuff in the summer. Um, and then last housekeeping note before we keep going on, uh, Josh gave me the green light to use the remaining balance uh, in our bank account, um, which we're just going to reload once we um, feel a little bit more obligated to put some more money in. Thinking about amping out some new stickers of our new logo. So if you guys are interested in that, go ahead and just DM us. And then just based off uh, replies and DMs, I'll probably get 100 to 250 stickers uh, and get those sent out. Um, we're not going to be doing pins. We did pins that one year and I nearly bankrupted us and destroyed the U S mailing system with really passive aggressive notes from the postal office saying you nearly broke our machine because this was more than one inch and you put it in an envelope. Apologies, U S postal service. Um, so yeah, 
If you guys want the sticker of the new logo, go ahead and DM us. And just based off the involvement, it will depend on how many stickers um, I'm allowed to get. And Josh is the money man, so we'll see uh, what I can bring out. Okay, so that's the housekeeping. Um, Simone, we'll go on to some fan submitted. Uh, we have a handful of fan submitted, and then we have a handful of bangeables. So we'll start with the fan submitted. Uh, is Utah a mid-state? And what would you rank Utah on a scale of 1 to 50, 1 being the best state? It is not a mid-state. Far from that. So it's, so it's um, under 25? Far from that? Or like far from that as in like 50th best state? Or far from that as in like closer to the top 10? Okay, well, to be fair, I'm Canadian. I haven't seen all the states. But um, yeah. no, I think going into it, I didn't think Utah was nice. But it grew on me so much within the yeah. last three years of living there. Now I would rate it, ooh, hmm, maybe my favorite state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, or like top five for sure. Top five? I think... It's just like so underrated because of the Mormon culture. People just assume that Utah's all about that, but there's so much more to it. But then I don't want to say it too loud because I don't want everyone to move to Utah. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, yeah. Uh, I just think it's a hidden gem. Like for skiing, the skiing is amazing. Just for trading at altitude, uh, just the hiking, trail running scene. Um, even you go like Southern Utah, you can go to Moab, Red Rocks. Like there's just so many beautiful places in Utah and you just see so many different landscapes, uh, within one state that I think is very unique. Um, but I've really grown to love it. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you too. Visit at some point. Yeah. Visit, but don't move there. Um, exactly. it's a, uh, it is a really cool state to drive through. Cause I, I've driven through Utah a couple times going from Seattle to Albuquerque and Utah. Yeah. Like you said, has so many different climates and zones where you're just like the one day I'm driving through the mountain and then suddenly I'm spit out into red rock deserts and it's just insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's cool. No, so um, I'm actually, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. Well, I was going to elaborate, but it's fine. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'll probably get in trouble for this. I don't know if this is Quebecian or French, but it, the question is a question mark. So I'm assuming it's a question. Someone just submitted Tabernacle? Question mark? That's a swear word. Oh, okay. We say Tabernacle. Okay. Um, I'll yeah. Google that later. Well, sometimes so. if you see me in the middle of a workout and I'm swearing, yeah, that, that'll come out of my mouth. Not too loud, but... Once in a while, tabernacle? when the workout's really high, hard. Is yeah. that reference like a tabernacle? Yes. You know? There's a lot of swear words that are actually coming from the church in uh, Quebec, just because of, like, eventually there was a big church separation from the state, or from the province. Um, yeah. And, yeah, there's a lot of church swear words. Okay. Tabernacle is one of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, tabernacle. Okay. Um, <laughs> Okay, I don't know if this is because somebody knows something about you that I don't, um, or maybe they're wanting a Canadian insight, but why do you think the U.S. government keeps hiding aliens? Is this something that you believe in? No, that's an odd question. No, that's all, I, 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 I agree. I don't know if this was something that you've <laughs> had a conspiracy theory on or you've been um, outwardly um, outspoken about on aliens no. and the U.S. government involvement. Um, cool. Okay, we're gonna skip that one. Um, do you believe in aliens? Mm-mm. Mm. No, not really. Okay, we'll we'll Actually, agree no. to disagree. It's not a not really. It's it's a hard no. I don't. <laughs> okay. Well, I I do believe in aliens. We're not gonna spend too much time there. Um, we can we can settle okay. that later. Sure. Um, being with Nike now, what is your uh, go-to shoe rotation for trainers? 
Ooh, it took me a while to figure that one out. Um, I tried a lot of shoes, but I think, so trainer is just like jogging shoes? Correct. Okay. Uh, I love, love, love the Vomero 17s. Nice. Uh, didn't like the 16s as much, but everyone on the team was hyping the 17s, and I finally tried them. And yeah, I feel like for me, it's the perfect shoe uh, that provides enough cushioning, but also, um, yeah, just all around good shoe to jog in, especially like long runs. And then I rotate that with like the pegs once in a while. Um, and what else? Oh, and then Invincibles as well, if I want like extra support. But I'd say most of my runs are in the Romero 17s. Nice. This is not a Nike-sponsored um, podcast or advertisement. Nope. However, we are Nike-sponsored athletes, so therefore, uh, yeah. Um, I'll just throw this one into the bantable, so I'll skip that one for now. Uh, favorite kit you've ever worn? And be honest, as if like you weren't going to be honest on whatever favorite kit you've worn. So, What do you mean kit? Like for racing? Kit is like singlet, yes. Or like singlet. Oh. Like what, what's your favorite? Like is it Team Canada your favorite kit? Is the UAC oh, kit yes. your favorite kit? Like, Duh, yeah, Team, team Canada. Canada. Yeah, I know. Yes. Yeah, and it said be honest. So I was like, I don't know if she's going to lie about this. I don't know why they would say be honest like they don't trust you, but fair enough. Um, this one has a little bit more of a serious tone to it, but you can kind of not pass over it, but like give a good response. But we don't need to spend at length this at this because I think we kind of covered a lot of this. How do you win a race and believe you can win a race as the underdog? Uh, don't overthink it. Just go with your gut and, cool. you know trust in your abilities and how you feel and if you're ready to go and it's time to go just go hashtag just go just go <laughs> um okay um yeah uh, i'll throw the other one in the bantable so i'll just give you a rundown of the bantable um for those that of you are longtime listeners you know what this bantable is for those of you that are joining us for the first time because you're either a fan of simone or have just joined in on the spotify impressions and found us on your own the Banter Bowl is a segment of our podcast where we do a little bit more deep dive and research, not on Wikipedia, not on Google, but in the live of the guests that we have on. So for Simone, I messaged some of her family, friends, teammates, past and present. Got a little bit of dirt. Got a little bit of uh, – yeah. got, got some videos. Actually got some videos sent my way. Um, and so oh we never, we're never going to incriminate you. We're never going to put you on the spot. I think the worst Banter Bowl we ever had was either with Ollie Hoare or Morgan McDonald where we – probably talked about some illegal things that we shouldn't have talked about, uh, about underage stuff, but like mm. underage drinking preface, um, on their recruitment trip. But other than that, um, we're going to, we're going to, I think let you off the hook pretty easy. Um, yeah, you can, again, if Theo's listening to this because he's your boyfriend, tell him that he never responded to me and I'm still upset at him. And next time I meet him, I won't shake his hand. Yeah, well, hopefully um, he made it that far to the episode. If he is listening to this. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, my wife has not listened to a single episode of the podcast, so oh. who knows? Yeah, she was mm-hmm. on one, but she yeah. does not listen to me. So I don't know why this is turning into an intervention for me. Okay. I'm going to so, force him to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah force him. So the Banter Bowl. Um, going to go ahead and get started with it. Um, this was a fan submitted Banter Bowl question. What is the best and worst part about being teammates with David? Oh. Uh, worst part is he talks a lot. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yep. Natural. No, I'm just natural kidding. response. I'm no, you're just fine. You're kidding. fine. He does talk a lot. He does talk a lot, but I feel like that might be the worst and the best part about it because cool. okay, sometimes, you know, it's like time to start the workout and you're getting done with the warm up, and it's like, all right, let's get things rolling. And then I don't know, he'll just like throw on whatever comment or like ask the most like random question and we're all kind of yeah. just like, what? Uh, but at the same time, best part is it keeps it entertaining and you never really know, you know, yeah. what you're going to get. So yeah. that's fun. Same thing for weights. I feel like 
you do talk a lot during weights, so sometimes it can kind of extend that and make it a lot longer than it should be, but, you know, it makes it fun. Yeah, makes it makes it fun of it. Okay, yeah, this is yeah. turned into an intervention. I'll make sure, you know, next time we're lifting someone, I'm just going to be yeah, just dialed shut up. in. Just <laughs> shut up. Yeah. How do you say shut up in French? I should know this. Détois. Détois. Okay, yeah, you just, you're going to just throw that my way in a hand up and I'll, I'll, I'll understand. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, rip. Um, okay, explain why you like to go to theaters just to get popcorn and slushy and not watch the movie. I'm so passionate about this. And I know Michaela... <laughs> This. but or maybe it wasn't Michaela but anyways I had talked to this about a lot of people to a lot of people but um no I just love 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 theater popcorn it just yeah. hits different like the butter there just doesn't hit the same regardless of what type of popcorn you're gonna get at the grocery store even if it's like extra butter like that those red packs you know uh, yeah. it, it just doesn't taste the same and there's just something so nice about just going to theaters getting that popcorn and a good slushy. Are, I just are love it. Different than Quebec and the U.S. or is it similar? Uh, the slushies are different, actually. The slushies in the U.S. are, which is nice, is like you don't have to mix it. Mm. Like the ice and the amount of sugar stays the same, so it's not like you just drink the sugar and then it's all ice left. Okay. At least the ones in Utah. Whereas <laughs> in Montreal, it's kind of tricky because you have to like stir it a lot. Otherwise, yeah. you're just drinking the sugar at first, and then you're left with the ice, and then half of it doesn't taste good, you know? So I feel like the U.S. is maybe a little chemical added or something yeah. that um, makes it better. But especially in Utah, yeah, the slushies are so good. Uh, I'm trying to think of the order. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to think of some of the orders on this, because uh, I want to make sure that I'm going in good, uh, good order here. Um, let's go with, I've been told you are very forgetful uh, of your belongings. This is an intervention. How can you do better to remember your stuff and not forget them places? I'm trying, though. I'm trying so hard. That's the worst part is like before I go, <laughs> before leaving anywhere, I'm going to look and make sure I have everything. Check, double check my bag. But I think I got to like triple or quadruple check or maybe get like a checklist. And then ugh, I don't know. It's really bad, though. It's really, really yeah. bad. Um, I think I'm going to put one of those air tags on my wallet because nice. I've lost my wallet way too many times. And um, <clears throat> thankfully, some people have found it and DM'd me on Instagram. Like, I found your wallet on the street. And I'm like, wow. Oh, my okay. goodness. Yeah. When you, yeah, when you, no, when you don't have your wallet, is the first thing that you say to you, you're like, tabernacle. <laughs> uh, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. But then I'm, I've gotten so used to it that I try not to panic at first. Okay. And then I think about where the places yeah. it can be. Yeah, like, it's cool. It's cool. It's yeah. happened before. Like, yeah. It happens a lot. I leave it in my car and it's in the, like, cup holder. And so I'll go back and check, and then I open the cup holder. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes – not the cup holder. How do you call it? The resting arm thing? Anyways. Oh, yeah. Um, arm rest. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm open to advices, honestly, if anyone wants to help me on not losing stuff. Um, Perfect. How to be better about this. I'm trying. Well, lucky for you, there was a banter ball question submitted that was kind of giving you props on not forgetting things because of your ability to mid-tempo rip, pick up your jacket and gloves, and request not to be slowing down the pace. <laughs> So I remember this day, actually, because you literally dropped your stuff. I wasn't working out with you, but what was going through your mind when you put your stuff down and then mid-rep, you're like, I'm just going to swoop this at full speed to grab it and go. <laughs> well, okay. So we were doing two laps on Hollister, which is like 1.5 yeah. miles in the forest. And then you have to cross the street and go onto the track to finish up the tempo. But there's no like stopping in between. Like the tempo just keeps going. 
and I was just so warm. Like I had this big coat on that was like so isolating and like I was sweating a lot. And I was like, okay, I need to take this off after like lap one, I think. So I dropped it down, not thinking anything about it. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to pick it up. But then on lap two, I was like thinking about this and I was like, I will not have a cool down or like my cool down is going to be really short. So I'm not going to want to go back to Hollister to cool down because I'm probably only going to have like a mile because I feel like every time we have like a tempo workout, it just is a lot of mileage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was just like, ah, oh, might as well pick it up and I'll drop it off at the track because I don't want to come back. Like that really was the only reason nice. why. And honestly, it was pretty smooth. We went down like a downhill. And like as I was going on, <laughs> I just pick it up, uh, and I think it made Ella laugh quite a bit. But uh, how did how did the, your Canadian friends view America when you said you were going there? Oh, oh. <laughs> the Quebec opinion on America is not the best. If I'm being completely honest, there's just a lot of stereotypes of America. Yeah, but how, how many all, of those I'm, were true? Ninety nine percent. Okay. No, There's, I love Americans. Yeah. I, I'm dating an American, so obviously, yeah. you know, they're not all that way. But I think, you know, America is quite different from Quebec um, yeah. in a lot of ways. But my friends were really stoked for me. I mean, they knew I was really passionate about running and kind of following that passion. Like, everyone was super supportive of it. But, um, yeah, there's a few stereotypes that that we hang on to. <laughs> Just like yeah, we don't get into that world. those. No, no offense. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was told to ask you about the time you got a car stuck in Iceland. Oh my god. <laughs> Who did you ask this to? I'm telling you, I do my research. You went far into your research. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I... Be honest, because yeah, I got videos of this. This is going to so be a long also... story, though, but yeah, I'm that's fine. try and shorten Just it give, as give, much give as a, I can. Give a few minutes story, and then also make sure you mention the fact that it got pulled out by a tractor. But go for it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um... Yeah, I did a solo trip to Iceland uh, after CJEP. I had like a, so CJEP, whatever, it's long story, but it's after high school, before college. It's unique to Quebec. Um, and uh, it, I had like a six-month school break. And so I've always wanted to visit Iceland, but I didn't do that much research before going into it. And so I didn't know that uh, visiting Iceland in the winter is quite challenging, actually. Uh, it's very cold, very, very, very windy and very snowy. And um, I rented a car, but, you know, the budget was kind of limited, so I rented the cheapest car. Um, so it wasn't, like, a good winter car that had, like, winter tires, and I wasn't super equipped for it. So, um, yeah, not my smartest decision, but anyways, so I was there for three weeks, which being in Iceland for three weeks is way too long in the winter. Like, never do that. Like, <laughs> half of the country is closed because you can't even drive to it because, like, yeah. it's so cold. and so I was only like doing the like south part of Iceland. Um, but anyways, my friend joined me for the last like five days of my trip or something. And uh, I actually picked her up from the airport and we were immediately driving to this Airbnb. And uh, on the drive, I took a wrong turn and we had to do U-turn. And I didn't realize like, so there was a, a bunch of snow, but it was all covered. And I didn't realize it was like a ditch underneath. So as I was doing the U-turn, I kind of like, pulled back like drove um backwards yeah yeah and my car just went floop in the ditch but I couldn't see it because it was just covered in snow so anyways car got stuck we tried to get it out for so long and we were in the middle of nowhere there was nobody around no cars driving like just nobody's there at that time of the year and then finally we just see this huge tractor <laughs> pull out and it's like from this house far away 
And it's this guy that doesn't speak a word of English. He doesn't even talk to us. He just comes out with a rope. And he's just like discouraged. You can tell he's just like another classic tourist story, like that doesn't know, you know, what yeah. Iceland is like in the winter. And so he just attaches the rope underneath our car and then attaches the rope to his tractor. Jennifer <laughs> and I are just like, what is going on? Like, hopefully this guy can save us. But then I, I literally thought he was going to like break apart the car because like the way he attached it underneath the car, I was like, that piece is just going to rip out and like our car is going to keep getting stuck, you know. But thankfully it worked. And our car actually nice. got put out of the ditch and he just came out. Didn't say a word still. We're like, thank you so much. Sir, blah, blah. He's like not saying anything. And he just leaves back with his tractor. And we look at each other and we're like, wow. Wow. Yeah, we got we got really lucky out there because I'm pretty sure we didn't have service either. And <laughs> we had no other solutions. Yeah. So this man well. saved our life. Thank you, Stranger um, of Iceland, for getting Simone unstuck. Without that, she would have not been a guest on the Sit and Kick podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a I think that's a good story to uh, to end on. At the end of every banter bowl and every episode, we do allow the guests. Normally, they don't prepare anything, which is kind of our strategy. But if you have anything to send back my way, either it be banter or questions or anything like that, this is your opportunity to do so. Many times, people say. I don't got anything. I'm kind of pushing you towards that because I don't want to, you know, elaborate on any of my banter stuff. Um, but if you have anything, now's the time to just throw back towards me. If not, then we can go ahead and name the episode and be on our ways. I'm trying to think, but honestly, I don't have much. No, yeah, you don't I'm know. Sorry. You don't well, got much dirt don't on me. Don't put this on the podcast though. But I'm sorry about your injury. Oh, it's cool. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah, we're chilling. So I'm working with yeah. Dave and got a good plan. So I just got to be quiet because my roommate Pete's here. So, Oh, wait, has he been listening the whole time? <laughs> no, I'm locked in the other room. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, we're chilling. Wait, so- I mean, like he – Okay. No, he does. He does, yeah. Dave, Dave's going to be the middle ground through all of it now. Okay, so. good. Yeah, That's it'll good. just be a matter of whether or not I'm in Portland or uh, Arizona after like a week or two. Oh. So we'll just see. Damn it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. High spirits, so – but yeah, yeah, it's better now than me, you know? Yeah. Um, any banter to throw back this way? No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't apologize. I get off skate free. That's that's great. That's great news for me. Okay. <laughs> um, and then at the end, we usually let our guests name the episode. Uh, as of late, we've had some pretty terrible naming attempts. Isaiah Harris named his episode like Dave and Isaiah Race a 1K, but we're not doing that, so I don't know why he tried to name it that episode. <laughs> um, so... Do you got anything on mind how you want to name this episode? No. Do you? Okay. I'll just be, I'll just be, you know, I'll just, I'll just work my magic and get it, get a title going uh, after the yeah, editing phase. Yeah, I feel phase. like you'd be better at that anyways. So. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Simone, uh, to, uh, for jumping onto the Sit and Kick podcast. Um, you guys, please follow Simone on social medias, follow her journey towards Paris, follow her journey towards Boston. Indoor worlds, all of it, all of the above, as you can hear and, and see that she's a very good athlete. Yes, still an underdog, but with so much potential, no pressure, just excitement and fun for the sport. So, um, yeah, thank you, Simone, for coming on here and uh, give me a, an hour of your very, very busy time in Arizona. So busy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, a slow, meandering affair. He wants to kick, he's got to go now. With Josh Kerr. All right, here, Dave Rivish. Josh Kerr. David Rivish. Josh Kerr's for real. Fastest D2, 1500 meters. Josh Kerr on the outside. Way up front now is David Rivish.